The Gestalt Gardener podcast is brought to you by Varicosity Vein Center, providing health assessment screenings and compassionate care to improve your vascular functionality and quality of life. Our doctors and vein specialists offer solutions to painful varicose veins, spider veins, and other venous diseases to our patients. Now offering complimentary vein screenings in Jackson, Madison, and Ridgeland. Information and appointment scheduling at varicosityveincenter.com. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart, host of the original Southern Remedy, the show where I answer your medical questions. Subscribe to the podcast by searching for Southern Remedy on any podcasting app. Okie dokie, folks. Welcome back. Horticulture's Felder Rushing, and uh, Java's good to see you. I'm back in the studio, man. How are you? You doing all right? I'm out of breath. Oops. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you were in there fiddle, fiddling with showbiz stuff. Yeah, we're trying to do some new things here at uh, uh, MPB Think Radio, add a different dimension to um, to the broadcast. But yeah, man, I'm, I'm doing fine. I'm glad you're back in the, in the building, in the seats. It's a different thing when you're away yeah and you've been away for some time so glad you're back i am man and i came back and i was expecting to be a lot worse because you know we've had some really really bad weather and uh here in mississippi and i mean super bad especially up north but i expected there to be a lot of damage in my yard because you know i don't cover anything up i don't i don't do anything i water stuff i plant good stuff to begin with uh but then i just sort of you know let it go i watered if it's dry prone it if it get getting out of bounds and uh, a little fertilizer but uh I don't use really any kind of pesticides because I don't grow plants. If plants have to be fussed with, I don't fool with them. I mean, I ain't got time for that. There's too many good plants, too many good experiences, too many ways to slide over to the next realm of stuff to uh, to worry about doing unnecessary chores. But I did have a question for you, though, Felder, because yeah. we t- oh, excuse me, we just had a whole bunch of rain. We got a little bit of— A lot of rain. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we have some rain coming today, and— is there a way, you know how we protect plants when it's cold and we try to cover them up? Is there a way to protect the plants from too much rain? Because I know it is a such thing as overwatering plants, but you can't control what's coming out of the sky. You can't. Well, if you have, we have, a, first, first of all, there's a lot of plants that like rain. There's some plants that want to grow in wet soil and they suffer in the summertime because they're too dry. A lot of plants that I grow, because I'm gone a lot, don't like a lot of water and so they have to deal with too much rain. So what I do is I just make sure I dig a better hole, wide hole, so the water can get away from the plant. You know, a little tight hole. It fills up with water like a bucket. But I dig nice wide holes, and then I loosen up plants so they're not in soggy potting, so I loosen up their roots when I plant them. But I plant a little bit on the high side. You know, instead of putting something flush with the ground, I put it maybe two, three, four inches above the ground and mound dirt up to it like a baseball pitcher mound. That way, during rainy spells, the extra water can drain away from some of the roots. But during dry, during, uh, dry spells, they still got nice deep roots. So I dig a good, wide, shovel-deep hole, add stuff, fluff it up, plant a little bit on a mound so they get the— it, not the best of both worlds, but uh, an acceptable amount of both worlds. Okay. So okay. raised raise beds, I grow a lot of stuff in containers, but you got to water those in the summer. So uh, I have to really be careful about what kind of plants I choose. Anyway, to answer your question, I just brought back, I started a little area in my garden, Java. I'm calling it Tulsa 
Corner. <laughs> Tulsa Corner. Yeah, I went to Tulsa, Oklahoma uh, last summer to uh, uh, for a lecture, and I went to a couple of botanic gardens there in Oklahoma City to see what kind of plant in Fort Worth, Texas, see what kind of plants it'll take colder winters than we get. Hot, dry summers with no rain, more than we get, uh, and still get a fair amount of rainfall. So I look at what kind of plants grow really well out there. And instead of looking at Florida plants that need, you know, Florida conditions, my garden's got Tulsa conditions. Hot, dry in the summer, cold, wet in the winter. So I'm looking. So I got a little area called Tulsa Corner. And uh, and I have to plant things that, in this kind of rain, they really will get too wet. So I just did an extra wide hole, loosened up the, the roots, you know, didn't over-prepare the soil, didn't put too many crackers in my bowl of chili, is what I, I call it, and uh, plant a little on the high side, and they're doing fine. Okay, that's a, that, that was the answer to the question that I had. <laughs> uh, un, unlike the section where we answer the questions nobody asks. <laughs> yeah, and I, and I, I got to, you know, I'm, I'm full of those kind of things. You know, because uh, people like me, horticulturists, botanists, uh, agriculture, forestry, we study stuff that most people don't need to know. You know, we just don't need to know it. And uh, so I'm always seeing things out there saying, you know, I wish I didn't know that because I resent thinking about it. And that's where I came up with this answer to question nobody asked. Well, speaking of speaking of uh, information that people really don't need to know, I heard something. It was so fascinating on, um, on I believe it was All Things Considered, yesterday or the day before yesterday, about these ants in Africa that would actually guard a tree because they had such a symbiotic relationship. Yeah. You, I give a little something and you give a little something. They would guard the tree from elephants who would try to come in, eat the leaves and, and kind of tear the bark down. And they would attack the elephants when they came to try to get on the tree. It was, there, it was fascinating. There's got to be a joke in here someplace. But God. then there was another ant that came around, an invasive ant, and took all of those ants away. So now the elephants are running rampant on the trees. <laughs> and then... I mean, see, I'm not laughing because it's funny. <laughs> but this is all I heard, and it was fascinating. I was like, who studies it this, you know, this closely? And then they took... The elephants are taking the trees away. So now the lions aren't able to hunt the zebras as well. It was a, it was a whole thing. Because the yeah. lions would hide behind the trees, and now the zebras can see the lions and they can run away. <laughs> it was just a lot. And well, it so all started that, with the ants. Doesn't the elephant know we can see him behind that tree? <laughs> I mean, well, I, I, we can see you. <laughs> it was a mess, man. Well, it is a, it's a live program. If anybody has some things you want to talk about with your garden. I, I know a lot of people this time of year, we just sort of go dormant like our trees. We don't want to think about it. We don't want to do anything. We're just going to hunker down and wait till spring. But we have an incredible incredible climate uh it's got just enough cold to make the florida people unhappy just enough heat to make the minnesota unhappy but we grow a plant a group of plants in between those two that are you know that people in florida can't grow because it doesn't get quite cold enough people in minnesota can't grow because it gets too hot see so we have a really good palette of plants here uh and i've been looking for those for a year back in my pickup truck job you know i got all that stuff in the back of the pickup truck not because I'm a nut, but to see what will grow in impossible condition. I got back, and all the stuff I planted this past fall to go over the wintertime made it just fine. Wow. Made it just fine. Still there. Just, you know, somebody said, well, you need to get a, uh, you, you ought to get a, a, a carport to put your truck in. I said, no, my plants need sunshine. But uh, I found plants that'll take 9 degrees and 104 degrees and 81 miles an hour. 
So anyway, there's a lot of stuff to talk about, and uh, we've got the lines wide open. If anybody wants to give us a call and and uh, uh, and, and talk about whatever's going on in your garden or what you're thinking about doing, uh, maybe there's some things that are bothering you. Uh, I can predict some stuff some people are thinking about because I've been doing this a long time, and I wish they wouldn't think about it, but they're going to, and they're going to need to ask somebody besides their granddaddy what to do because <laughs> granddaddy did a lot of weird java. You know, one of the things that came up is somebody asked on the uh, Mississippi uh, Gardening Facebook page, uh, when's the best time to, to burn their lawn? Have you ever heard of that? Burn that their lawn? About, what, what does that even mean? It set fire to the grass. But then most of the time, I know before we got all this rain, I think we were like in a in a burn ban or a drought or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, this, uh, you know, this is something people used to, when I was a kid, my dad, we used to set fire to the grass in the late winter, burn off all that thatch and stuff so the grass comes up nice and clean. Oh, okay. But it's a terrible thing to do. It's fun. <laughs> it's dangerous. <laughs> uh, and and, uh, and you make you feel like you're doing something. And a lot of people still do it because... They remember the granddaddy doing it. Uh, and it does burn off thatch, but thatch is where the little beneficial insects, and that, that protects the grass, from the, the roots from getting too hot in the summertime. And, and it decomposes, it feeds the worms that help the, you know, the, the grass roots grow deep. But also, it, it burns up some of the grass plant. Enough comes back to where people think it's okay, but it really kicks a, a lawn hard. And it gets rid of stuff that's important to the lawn. So anyway, I want real bad to say, don't burn your lawn. And I'm thinking, mm, I don't want to be that kind of guy. I'm just saying, that's a great idea, but it's a bad thing to do. You make your own choice. So let me ask this question. It was coming up on the first break. Um, what were they trying to accomplish by burning the grass, and what could they have done instead of? Well, they're they're doing it because Daddy did it, or, or Granddaddy did it. Uh, they're doing it because it gets rid of thatch, which is old dead roots, and you know when you when you did the grass and then the dirt, and there's this crumbly brown stuff in between. That's called thatch, and uh, they think that's a good idea. Up north, it is because they have a different kind of grass, but our southern grasses, it really kicks them hard. So a lot of people do it out of habit, or they read about it in a book written by somebody from Iowa. So anyway, it's just an example of stuff I wish I didn't know, but it's my job to know. So, yeah, by the way, there's going to be a, 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 those of you interested in roses, want to learn how to root roses and take care of old roses, this is going to be a really good seminar. And I'm uh, not, it's a workshop. I'm going to give more details about it, but it's not this weekend, but next weekend at Greenwood Cemetery, which is downtown Jackson. It got about 300 rose bushes, really tough, durable. Some are antique, some are modern, but they're really good, tough, ever-blooming roses. And we're going to have our annual uh, workshop there. A little bit of pruning, a little bit of mulching, a lot of rooting. And if you want to come down and help and learn about stuff, and again, that that rose pruning and rooting workshops free. It's going to be on Saturday, February the 3rd, it's a, this, a week from this coming Saturday. More details about that later. Meanwhile, uh, let's go over to Vicksburg. Talk to, I'm going to say, Canoe. Canoe. Yes. What? What is it? Uh, welcome back to Mississippi. Thank you. Um, I have a question. Um, I don't use mulch or pine straw or something to go around the, uh, the uh, shrub. I use the uh, leaves. Yeah, yeah. I have a lot of falling leaves. Uh-huh. But, um, but that around the tree, uh, I try to keep it clear because I'm afraid to grow fungus. Right. Uh, and uh, so, how far from the tree, if I cover the root, you know, like a cold, wet, you know, cold 
season, uh, I want to use the leaves to protect the you know, moisture and the cold protect using right. leaves. Then I can take it out in the spring. Yeah. But um, uh, is there any kind of size-wise from the tree trunk? Uh, yeah, just not on the tree trunk. You know, an inch, five inches, a foot, whatever you want. The main thing is you, we don't want to pile mulch, whether it's leaves or, mm-hmm. or, or, or pine straw or, or bark, which they don't really hurt the plant, but they keep moisture up against the, the, the trunk, which can right. lead to, to fungus. So the main thing is, is spread it out as far as you want, but just don't pile it up. On, do it like a donut. Just pull it back away from the, okay. the trunk itself. And, and right. it's and it's not a it's not a, a it, it can be a serious thing. It's not something that's likely to happen. But when it does happen, it's because people pile much up on the trunk. A lot of people do it and get away with it, but just pull it back so the the trunk itself is you know goes straight into the ground. Okay. How about azalea bushes? Same thing. Same thing. You know, you can you can. It, you know, the main thing is we, you know, the part that comes up out of the ground, that's just made out of wood. And if it stays wet, it can rot. So the main thing mm-hmm. is just, you know, spread it evenly. Just pull it back just where it's not right up on the trunk. And and that's it. Okay. Uh, but I can just keep it on, just leave it there. I don't have to take it out. Oh, no, no. This is it's a, it's, it's not only a good thing and it looks better, but it's important because that's, you know, people don't realize that worms uh, that, that dig down deep around, you know, they help where air and water can get down deeper. You know, they dig, they dig the dirt for us, but they eat leaves for a living. They come up at night and eat grass clippings and leaves and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So it, if you don't have that out there, you, there's no not going to be any big worms and your plant's mm-hmm. going to not have good roots. So mulch is important. That's, that's the way it works out in the woods. Okay. Okay. Uh, one more question. Now, I have a compost. Uh-huh. Uh, uh, I put the eggshell. Is it okay? It is. It doesn't really, uh, you know, if you go online and, and do a thing about eggshells in the garden, you'll find thousands of articles saying eggshells are good for the garden. Eggshells, you put them in the compost. They give calcium. They don't do any of that stuff, but they, oh. don't, hurt, they don't hurt anything. Eggshells are made out of calcium carbonate, which can, can last for 50 years or more. It has to be broken down by acids, natural acids, to convert into fertilizer. So it doesn't hurt to use them. No sense in throwing them away. So crumble them up a little bit, throw them on there. Uh, they just don't have any fertilizer value. But that, that's, that's where I put mine. I toss mine out there, partly because when I look at my compost, it looks like I'm actually doing something. But it, <laughs> it's perfectly fine. It just doesn't have any real fertilizer benefit like everybody says. Okay. I, I just you know, you know, I didn't want to harm the compost, but it's okay to put. The only thing, and I've been composting for a long time, long time, decades. I work with the American Horticulture Society Compost Research. The only thing I don't put in my compost is broken glass. I put, oh, no. I put everything. I put, you know, say, well, you can't put meat in it. I, you just bury it. It works fine, you know. Uh, so the only thing I don't put in my compost is broken glass. Okay, that sounds good. Okay, can well, thank you very much. All right, I appreciate it. Uh, bye bye. Yeah, there's a lot of you know, Java. There's a lot of you go online and Google certain things that says do this and do that. Even extension service says do these kind of things. And sometimes it's just because people are repeating what they read, who repeated what they read, and you dig down deep and there's just nothing to it. And uh, a lot of people won't argue with me. I, I, it, I ain't making this stuff up. Eggshells are great in the compost. Do they put calcium in your soil for your tomatoes? Nope. But I ain't going to argue about it. Hey, let's, let's go up to Memphis, talk with Julie. Good morning, Julie. How are you? Hey, good morning, Felder. Doing great, thanks. Howdy. Hey, um, 
I actually work for a landscape company, and it's that time of year again where I am begging and pleading everyone, um, all other landscape companies, to give our crepe myrtles a break. Um, in what and way? I was just wondering. If, I'm sorry. Uh, oh, in it, what it, way? It, to stop to stop chopping them in half and. I mean, I, I do realize that there's times when if they're under power lines or uh-huh. scratching your roof shingles or knocking you in the head when you get out of your right, car, there's right. definitely necessities when right. it comes to that. Any, but, any kind of plant that's put in the wrong place and gets out of way can have to be yeah. trimmed, yeah. Yeah. So, so what? I had a client, just she has beautiful, well, had beautiful crepe myrtles, and some other company last year just topped about five feet off of them, and as you know, they... Year on year, they keep getting those knuckles, and they start looking worse and worse. Whoa, 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 wait, 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 wait. Worse and worse in a matter of the American Horticulture Society, which I was a board member, and the Royal Horticulture Society, which I'm a member, and everybody else on Earth, including every Shinto temple in Japan, thinks that that's a perfectly good style. It's called pollarding. It's not bad for the plant. The only people who say that's a bad thing are people who read Southern Living, who coined a phrase called crate murder 26 years ago. But there's yep. world, I have pictures of, of trees with those knuckle pruning, and there's actually a Japanese word for it, that are over 200 years old, and they're doing perfectly. The American Horticulture Society has one that's been done like that since 1918 at their headquarters in Alexandria, Virginia. It's not a bad thing. It's a style, and some of us don't like it. But that's like which way you roll your toilet paper. But it doesn't hurt. It doesn't hurt <laughs> to prune a crepe myrtle any more. It hurts to prune a rose. There's good ways to prune a rose. There's bad ways. But as far as boogering them up, it's just pruning. And some people don't like it. It's perfectly the American Hort Society, Royal Hort Society, Japanese Shinto temples. They all say it's perfectly fine. So it's a style. Yeah, it's a, it's a style. Yeah. And, and by the way, I taught the arboriculture, the tree surgery course at Mississippi State. So I know the physiology. So anyway, it's just a style. Some people don't like it. Some people like it a lot. The plant does not care. It really does. This is from a plant physiology, horticulture, arboriculture perspective. So it's just a style. Ooh, and, well. uh, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm t- hey, if you'd like some detail about that, if you go to my blog, because I'm not in favor of, don't get me wrong, I have one that's done like that. I have one that's not done like that. They're just two different, like uh, long hair versus short hair. But if you go to my blog, blog, I have a thing that, that says, it's got a provocative title. It says, Crate Murder is Okay. It, it's, it's, <laughs> not, it's, it's just a style. But I've got examples, the background, some really some really nicely done ones. Uh, again, even at the headquarters of the American Horticulture Society. So anyway, Southern Living came up with that phrase, set neighbors against neighbor over a style. It's all it is style. So yeah. I, I, well, I'm not trying uh, to lecture I, here. I'm, I'm just trying to, for other people listening, yeah. other people listening. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, boy, as I drive around town, though, there are some pathetic looking crepe myrtles. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm not, yeah, it's, it's not always, it's not always, it's not always done right. Cut, cutting them straight across, that's called, that's, you know, topping something, including big yeah. trees and all. Uh, that's called dehorning, and that's not great. But if you want to thin plants out, if you want to cut them back into a nice little natural shape, and if you want to make those, those, what they call fist pruning, and that's the, that's the word for it, uh, if you want to do that, it is okay. It, from a horticulture, plant physiology point of view, it's just a style. 
So yeah, I, I'm, I'm just saying. Different strokes for different folks, right? Exactly. <laughs> you know, I, 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 I'm an old guy, sat on an aircraft carrier during Vietnam. I've got shoulder-length hair, and you cannot imagine how many people want me to cut my hair. And I'm thinking, shut up. George Washington had, <laughs> Ben hair. Franklin had long hair. So it's just a style, that's all. So just relax. It, can it be done badly? You bet. But uh, does it really hurt the plant? Nope. It's like rolling toilet paper. Different strokes for different folks. Seriously. Well, thank you for your input, and I'll check out your blog. Yeah, sure. Federalist Fel- Unite blog. And again, I've got pictures. And, and by the way, have you ever seen those woven fences where they have stakes and they weave the, you know, the, the little twigs and stuff to make the, what they call a wattle fence? Uh-huh. You know where they get the material for doing that? Cutting plants back um, to knuckles uh-huh. and cutting those things off every year to grow their fence material. Interesting. Yeah. Well, it'd be great if they started using it then to do that. But I, I just see them piled up on the street. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Well, I, I, I see people bagging leaves, which is, you know, what would God say? You know, bagging leaves <laughs> and then bringing in mulch and putting around your plants. You know, so people do stuff that's, let's call it counterintuitive, and let it go at that. Yeah, for sure. Different yeah. strokes, lady. You got it. Well, thank you. Have a great weekend. <laughs> okay, Julie. And by the way, I'm saying this all horticulturally lovingly. Oh, I know that, and I take it that way as well. <laughs> okay, see you later. All right, thank you. Bye bye. All right, let's go to Barry. Barry's in Jackson. Good morning, Jackson. How are you? I, I mean, Barry. Barry. <laughs> What's? I'm not you. I got last fall before I, I, I left. I had cataracts done, right? And I have permanent long vision now, but I don't have up close vision. And I got some six dollar Home Depot reading glasses. This What's is true. What's this up, is very Barry? True. What's up, Barry? Hey, good morning, Felder. This is Barry White, your fondant buddy. How oh, are you, howdy, sir? howdy. Good to see you. What's up? Uh, not much. Uh, Wednesday in that um, storm, we had a significant lightning strike on a 60-foot pine tree. Mm. And essentially, it exploded uh, a large amount of the bark off. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, you know, we're concerned. Uh, my wife witnessed it. She was in the car. Oh, time. boy. She, she felt like she was in a Die Hard movie. Oh, yeah. So, we're afraid it's a goner, but I uh, just wanted to get your thoughts, and it's, you know, a phenomenon like I've never seen before. So, yeah. anyway, any direction would be appreciated, and yeah. uh, I'll hang up and uh, listen from the radio. Okay, I, I'll keep it short. Good to hear from you, Barry. Um, uh, when lightning can strike people and they walk away from it, it could fry them instantly. Lightning strikes trees all the time without leaving a mark, runs down the outside. So there's a lot of variables about you know what, how how moist the tree is, whether how strong the lightning bolt is, uh, so many different kind of things. But generally, if a if if it blows the bark off a tree, what happens? It travels in the moist area under the bark and it superheats it into steam, and that strips it off. And uh, l- sometimes it makes a long streak. Tree heals over around it, no problem at all. I can show you lightning struck trees that are that are was struck ten fifteen years ago. I, I see it all the time. So it doesn't always kill a tree. Sometimes it kills it instantly, turns brown within two weeks. Sometimes it takes it a long time to show up. Anybody who predicts it is simply making it up. So when lightning strikes a tree, what can you do? N- nothing. Just wait and see. If the tree survives, great. If it doesn't, then decide whether it's going to hit something when it falls. And if it is, 
cut it down. If it's not going to hit anything, leave it there because that's where woodpeckers live. You know, there's all sorts of stuff. And here's the real problem with pine trees. When lightning strikes a pine tree, it can weaken them. And a pine tree this week can't fend off pine beetles. A lot of times I see pine beetles hit a, a pine tree within two weeks of it being struck by lightning. Normally it can repel them, push them out with the sap flow. But uh, keep an eye on it and uh, look for what looks like gobby thumb-sized bits of popcorn on the lower trunk, up, up, oh, anywhere from the ground up about six or eight feet. Looks like gobs of popcorn. Sticky at first, and it crystallizes. That's where pine beetles get in. So keep an eye on that. And if the pine beetles get in, there's a lot of them. They can kill the tree because the tree was weakened by the lightning. Anyway, all you can do is wait and see. And then if it dies, make a decision then about whether to to remove it or or let it fall naturally. So anyway, that's the bottom line. There's no treatment. There's nothing you can do about it except just sit back and relax. And again, I can walk around our neighborhood, Barry, and see and show you trees that have old lightning damage that healed over perfectly well. So anyway, what we need to do, Java, you're the boss, man. Uh, we're at the halfway point, at the halfway point but... I see William from Pedal over here. And he's ta- he wants to know about something I just talked about. William, what's up? Good morning. Hey, Felder, uh, thanks for taking my call. Sure. I got in on the last part of what you're talking about, but I understand what the guy was talking about. But I'm running short of a voodoo chicken feet from New Orleans. <laughs> I got one around my cabin, and it works. I know it, but uh, this is what I'm calling. Is there any natural life uh, sequence? to pine borer beetles, what's yeah. stopping them without chemicals from taking over the whole Mississippi pine forest? Well, well, first of all, pine beetles, you know, I'm retired extension. When I started in 1980, that's over 40 years ago uh, when I started, uh, I was dealing with pine beetles. You know, with forestry, I don't work with it so much, but home guard. Pine beetles, and there's several different kinds. I don't want to get into engraving beetles and Ips beetles and southern pine beetle, but uh, they've always been around. And in the forest, when the trees are planted really close together, they're weak. They don't have all the roots. You know, it's like putting a lot of people in an elevator. One pe- person gets a cold, everybody's going to have the cold. So that's what happens. Pine beetles get started. The trees are weak because they're growing too close together. There's nobody watering them or that kind of stuff. And then they spread. So in the forest, what they do is when pine beetles hit, they harvest those trees. They cut them down. They use them. Uh, in the home garden, not much we can do. But anyway, th- there's there's really no control for pine beetles, and I'm real sure of this, other than keeping the trees healthy so that a healthy flow of sap will push, because they're only the size of a grain of rice. They're easy for pine, for pine trees to repel, but the trees are weak. And last last summer was severe drought. It weakened a lot of it. It killed magnolia trees, but the pine trees are weak, so the pine beetles get in the upper hand. Uh, there's not any, once they get in, there's no sprays. Uh, not much we can do. This is a natural phenomenon, and the problem is partly because we plant thousands of pine trees a few feet apart for production, and that's not natural. But a pine beetle, out, a pine tree out in the middle of nowhere, uh, doing fine, pine beetles won't bother at all. Not much else we can do, though, William. I've heard of Felder. I've, I've cut down trees that had pine borer beetles on them, yep. and the larvae get big as your little finger. Yeah, what, what happens after that? 
Well, they, they go into a, 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 co- a cocoon just like any other beetle, and then they come out as an adult, sort of like grub worms. And, you know, dig grub worms up in the yard. That's the larvae of, of those brown June bugs or May beetles. But uh, that's what they do is they, they turn into a, a cocoon, and not a cocoon, it's Chris, whatever it's called, and then they come out as the adult, just like, you know, just normal beetle life cycle. Well, them beetles are no good for fish bait. No, they're not. They're too little. They won't stick on a hook because they ain't but the size of a grain of rice. Crap, man. I got some out big as my little finger before. Well, you've just, you, you're just you not holding your mouth right when you're going fishing. All That's right. all it is to it. All right. Thank you, Felder. <laughs> Java, have you heard that? Got to hold your mouth right. No, nah, that's a new one on me. I know you you have your different baits, but I didn't know. You know, if you, you when you when you put your put your put your bait on, you put your, your thing out there. You watch if you don't hold if you don't hold your mouth right, fish ain't gonna bite. You a fishing guy, Felder? Yeah, worm I'm, or cricket? Yeah, well, both. Okay, all right. I, I, I prefer crickets because that way the little ones can get the cricket, but still got the head on there. There you go. <laughs> By the way, that rain that everybody had uh, in in Mississippi uh, Wednesday, that horrible storm, it went from Gulf of Mexico all the way up to, like, Wisconsin. Yeah. Uh, well, it went through Alabama uh, the, the the Wednesday night. And the reason I know is because I was flying on a little airplane from Atlanta, <laughs> and we blew through it at 450 miles an hour. It was great. Oh, Okay. <laughs> Did, did, well, you, did, did, did the shake? Did the plane shake some? You know, I told the pilot before we got on there. You know, if you're gonna get on this plane, I'm getting on because you know more than I do. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it was uh, uh, anyway. It was it was wild. Glad to be back. Uh, and before we take this call, uh, I showed you this plant I brought in today. It's yeah, you the, even gave got, me one. Yeah, it's got tiny little lavender flowers. They look like orchids. They look like little dragons with their mouth open. They're they're pale lavender with little purple stripes, and it just looks just like an orchid. And the plant itself, the leaves, uh, it's got square stems, which tells me it's related to mint, but it doesn't smell like mint. But this is called henbit. And the reason I mention that, all parts are edible. You can make a tea out of it. You can eat it raw, salad. You can mix it in. You know, you can have a, a bacon... Uh, bacon hen bit tomato sandwich. You can put it in soup, whatever. And the reason I mention that because this is the first wildflower I've seen. This is all over people's lawns, and it's driving people nuts. I was going to ask because it it does look minty. It doesn't smell, but it yeah. does look like a mint leaf. It's a little stupid thing. It's got a square stem, you know. And all members of the mint family have got a square stem. It's a stupid thing to know, <laughs> but it's one of those things nobody asked. Well, that'll keep you that'll keep you alive now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But but a lot of people call it a weed because it's growing in their lawn, but they don't realize the lawn is dormant right now. It's not growing right now. And this stuff comes up and, and dandelions and wild onions and garlic and daffodils and all that stuff. Anyway, if you don't like it, it's okay. You can just cut it down. But there's no need to spray it because as soon as it gets hot and as soon as you start mowing your grass, it's gone. So you can have a beautiful little minty, uh, edible Orchid-looking uh, wildflower that's covered with pollinator stuff in the winter, and just mow it like normal. In the, so you know, just leave it out there, not hurting a thing except maybe your control issues. That's it. Anyway, hen bit first wildflower scene of the year. Hey, let's slide to uh, Natchez. Lee, you've been hanging on for a long time. Still got that armadillo out there? Yes, unfortunately, so. Good morning. <laughs> Howdy. I wish there was something I could tell you about it. 
Well, I've tried everything, yeah. uh, all the remedies that are online. Yeah. I had a professional come out and bait traps, yeah. and it knows how to avoid that. Yeah. And I used to have a lawn, but I don't any longer. It's a mud puddle now. Yeah, yeah. You know, and like you said, there's a lot of people with, with advice about armadillos and moles and squirrels and all that kind of stuff. A lot of people with advice. Bottom line is, and, and I've, I'm a, I'm, I've studied all this, and I've observed it, worked with it with botanic gardens for decades, and if there was a good control, we'd all know about it. But unfortunately, a, a fence sometimes helps, but a trap is all you can do. They dug up all the little plants that my granddaughter, who's three years old, she and I planted some, uh, some marigolds at the Ag Museum in Jackson, and armadillo came out, dug them all up. My granddaughter's plants, but uh, other than a trap yeah. that's baited with something that attracts them, there is no good control for armadillos. It's just not a good one. A trap is all you well, can do. That is it. You know, and, and if, someone said that you also have to take them far away because they come back. Well, you know, they're first of all, and I don't want to get into this, but the wildlife people say it's, it's illegal to do that because it's disruptive. But I don't want to get into that. But yeah, if you want to get rid of them, you got to haul them off and put them somewhere else, and let it be somebody else's problem. Usually, the the, the creatures die because they're not used to their new sites. But uh, anyway, other than trapping, and other than a a fence, which is only partly effective, there are no good armadillo controls. I'm, if, there, if there was, all of my friends at Botanic Gardens who take care of their Botanic Gardens who have armadillo problems, we'd know about it. So, trap, all it, you can do. It, what can I do for the lawn that used to be there? Can, can I reseed it? Do I just go ahead and... And put in sod. Will he dig that up again? Yeah, and yeah, yes, yeah. he yeah. dug up all the pot, all my potted plants as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's you know, if 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 you want, you know, just you know, if you want to have a perfect lawn, you're gonna to have to get rid of the armadillo. That, there's just no uh, other way around. Otherwise, just got a, a friend of mine who has the uh, the the Rose Center, the American Rose Society's headquarters in in Greenwood, other side of of uh, Shreveport, Louisiana. He's a Cajun. He says he gets on a golf court, rides around early in the morning with a shotgun. He said if there was any other way to control the armadillos, because they dig up all of his hostas at night, he has to replant the next morning. But, you know, uh, it's just it's one of those I'm, – I'm, I'm as frustrated as anybody else, but I'm real sure there's – other than a trap, not much you can do. If you need to replant, just replant. Is not, not Just fun. hope he doesn't bring home a mate and have children. Well, and weirdly enough, when they have when they have a, a litter of young, they're they're identical quadruplets. Oh my! <laughs> okay, well I've got the if you decide I've got the insolvable problem. Yeah, well, you know, and, and uh, it, real quick hint: if you decide you want to eat one, you need to cook it a oh. long time because they can carry the 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 bacteria that causes leprosy. But if you cook them, it's not a problem. I'm just saying. <laughs> That's not something I'm going to do. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I'm just saying potatoes and onions, that's as good a control as any. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, well, Lee. Well, thank you so much, Okay. Pre- you have a good day. Appreciate your call. Bye-bye. What, Java? What? Deep South Dining is on Monday, man. We're, uh, not, we're not here talking about cooking armadillos. Well, you know, armadillos are a lot easier from scratch than a cow is. I'm just saying. We have a full thing of calls over here. <laughs> as 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 we as they say in England, hunger is the best sauce. Anything tastes good when you're hungry. 
Uh, I can I can get behind this saying. Yeah, Tabasco helps though. Anyway, let's go to uh, to, to Mandeville. Hey, Peg. Good morning. Hey, how are you, Felder? Fine. Thanks for calling. What you got going on? Well, I got what most people have going on. I've got a lot of plants that died with the freeze, mm-hmm. and I don't know if there's a rule of thumb about which plants you can cut back before the end of winter or whatever, because I don't want things to come back and freeze again. Yeah. Things like lantana bushes um, or ferns that I know are not going to come back. Should, yeah. Is there a rule or anything about that? Well, yeah, there's, there's not a rule of thumb for all the plants. And the closest we have is for, for plants that bloom in the springtime, like blueberries and azaleas and, and uh, nandinas, things that have spring flowers, and, and climbing roses like Peggy Martin uh, uh, rose. Those all bloom in the spring on what's out there now. So other than don't prune spring bloomers until after the get through blooming, the other rule of thumb is if a plant normally gets pruned back, like roses, lantana, you know, they die to the ground, and they, but they come back. So if you want to neaten up plants that you know are going to come back from the roots, you know, go ahead and do that. But uh, it really depends on the plant. Things like lantana, you know, mine look terrible. They just look terrible. So what I do is I cut them back to four or five inches tall, but I've got daffodils growing in between them. So I have daffodils in the winter, and then when they die down, the lantana's coming out. But anyway, to answer your question, if it's a spring bloomer like blueberries, azaleas, climbing roses, uh, wait till after they're done. Other than that, it's just a matter of neatening stuff up. Because the, the things that bloom in the spring, um, they've already set, right? Yes, they had their flower. Uh, and, and by the way, uh, uh, hollies, which have winter, late summer, fall, winter berries, they're spring bloomers too. So in general, if it blooms mm-hmm. in the spring, wait till it's done. But if it blooms in the summer, new growth like roses, hydrangeas, uh, gardenias, things like that, you can prune those fine now. But there's no good overarching oh. rule of thumb, except don't prune spring bloomers. Everything else, just neaten it up. Well, those banana trees look pretty bad. Yeah, but they, they so, do that every um, year. They always do that. And you just cut do. them down, yeah. you know, and, and they'll do fine. So a lot, a lot of... What? It doesn't matter um, if I cut them back now because i got to cut them back anyway. That's right. That's right. Okay. All right. All right. You got okay. my work cut out for me. Okay. We wear some gloves because those bananas going to be slimy. Whew. They are. They are. Thanks they for calling, Pig. See ya. All right. Thanks. All right. Bye-bye. Okay, we got color-coded calls here. What do I go to? Rebecca in Fulton. Okay, Rebecca, the orangey, rusty color light. What's up, Sarah? Good morning. Good morning. How are y'all doing? So far, so good. You got peace trees? Uh, not where I live now. I I did before, but no. Um, no, I, I, but I... I guess this year would be a good time, as good a time as any to plant them, wouldn't it? Yeah, well, you know, if if you want to plant peaches, keep in mind, you know, I'm not a negative person. I, I give a, a a home fruit growing seminar every year in Jackson at a garden center called Hutto's. It's going to be on February the 17th this year. It's a free seminar, and uh, peaches, plums, pecans, those three. They're really, really popular, but they also have real serious issues with insects and diseases. You almost have to spray peaches if you want to get them, almost always. But if you want to plant them, this is a great time. But just be sure when you set it out, cut it off at knee high. Don't think twice about it. Every commercial peach grower on earth 
cuts their peach trees off at knee high the day they set them in the ground. This makes them bush out where you know they're they're bushier. They're more like a bowl than a pine tree. So if you want to plant them, this is a great time. Any time the next month or so, just be sure to prune it back. Okay, thank you. Um, no, I, I called because um, I've talked to you before. I think on on your blog. But my geranium, since I talked to you last, I only had one bloom, and now I've got three, and it looks like I'm going to have more. And I'm just like tickled pink that I've got winter flowers. Yeah, you know, a lot of people, they, you know, they, they, they don't think about where, where plants grow naturally, but, but the, what we call geraniums, pelagonums, uh, they actually like a cool climate better than they like hot. They, they do better in the, the winter than they do in the summer. Uh, because they like cool weather. A little bit of fertilizer, prune it to keep it nice and stocky, and, and they can bloom, pluck off any of the old yellow leaves, and they can do quite well. Well, would they have survived this winter if I Oh, no, no, no. No, they, they, they won't live outside. You've got to keep them in a pot. You've got to bring them in during free. They don't like freezing weather. They don't like 104-degree weather. They like a long, cool season. So that's what we do. We keep oh, them inside during the during the winter or keep them in a sun. They'll, they'll do perfectly fine in a sunny window. All all year long, as long as they get sunshine, it's fairly cool indoors. In 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 the summer, fairly warm in the winter. But they'll do fine in a south facing window, no problem. Okay, well, great. I I knew that I saw them in Germany everywhere. Yeah, in the summertime. But see, you also saw uh, 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 snapdragons in the summer. You saw uh, pansies in the summer because those plants like a long, cool climate. And they have a, you know, it doesn't get really, really hot there, and it cools down at night, uh, just like in Seattle. They grow those things over the summer where they burn up here in the, in the winter. So uh, it's, a, you know, a different, you know, a lot of what we call flowers really are tropical or they're from a cool climate, and we have to grow them accordingly. Okay, well, thank you so much. All right, good luck. And by the way, if you decide to plant on peach trees, keep in mind that not all peaches do equally well. They, 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 they tell time, fruit trees tell time by this thing called chilling hours. It's above freezing, but below 45 refrigerator temperatures. And they need a certain number of hours of chilling before they'll bloom. Some don't need many hours at all, and they'll bloom the first warm day in the middle of the winter. Some need a long chilling period, and they'll never do well here. So if you're going to choose things like peaches and apples and pears and plums, uh, go to the MSU website, msucares.com, type in home fruit, and it'll list the varieties that do best in north, south, and central Mississippi. Different varieties make all the difference. Anyway. Well, so it's... If I plant a pecan tree, would the same thing apply? I mean, yeah. uh, as far as, okay. Uh, I'd, I'd, I'd prune those. Uh, I'd cut them back about waist high. Okay. Okay. Well, I appreciate it. All Y'all right. Have a great day. Thank you. Appreciate it. Okay, let's slide up to North Mississippi to Fulton. Hey, Rebecca, thank you for holding. How you doing? We just, we just, that was, you were just talking with Rebecca. Oh, 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 oh. And here is Sarah. Uh, uh, I was looking at the wrong thing. And I, th- I think you already Sarah, took care of Sarah. Sarah, <laughs> Sarah, I was looking at the wrong topic. You're the one with the peach tree question. <laughs> What's I, up? I, yes, I am. I'm, uh, but that was, that was very helpful. Um, my, my question is, um, so uh, I was told that you can, kind of treat the peaches Uh, we have a peach tree um that we planted maybe three years ago um and um uh what what are are good treatments to do and when like stuff like bone meal or 
blood meal or, or things that can kind of put some nitrate nitrogen back in the soil and then also some treatments to keep uh, fungus and other icky stuff um, from from growing when they uh, yeah. when they bloom yeah Here, here's an initiative first of all as far as fertilizer bone meal uh, b- blood meal, fish, cottonseed meal, those are just fertilizer. And they, whether you use a synthetic or a natural fertilizer, just use a fertilizer under the outer spread of the branches. You don't have to go with bone meal or, or, or triple 13, just any kind of fertilizer sometime in the winter. Also prune the trees. Peach trees need to be thinned out. They, they get so cluttered that they cause themselves problems. So go in this, this month, February or so, and thin out the clutter. Anything that's tall or is cluttered or is rubbing each other, just open it up, sort of like if you're holding a ball or an orange in your hand with your fingers pointing up and then pull the ball out. you still got your fingers spread out like that. You want to cut it back, thin it out, open it up into an open bowl shape. This really is important. I'm not just saying that because I'm a horticulturist. Uh, but as far as the treating for insects and diseases on the fruit, that does no good to spray before they bloom or until they have fruit on it. So you have to spray for insects and diseases on the fruit, not the tree. So you got to wait till after the flowers are gone, after the pollinators are gone, when there's a little fruit out there, we spray to protect the fruit, and those sprays are, 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 are coatings, they're coverings. So it doesn't do any good to spray beforehand. you got to wait till the fruit is on the tree. And these sprays only last for a couple of weeks or a couple of rains, so you need to spray. I hate to say this because I'd rather not spray, reason I don't grow peaches. But uh, if you can get any kind of all-purpose spray, home orchard or home fruit spray, and uh, relatively safe, you know, just follow directions, and spray when the fruit itself is starting to form on the trees. And that's about all we can do. The thinning it out really helps uh, open it up for, for wind circulation. And you don't have as much problem with diseases. But if you've had a problem with worms or, or diseases on the fruits, got to spray. So anyway, sorry about that. Sounds all negative and all, but, you know, different strokes. Different folks want to do stuff. If you want to do things, sometimes you got to find out what's necessary to do. And with fruit trees, uh, we got some fruits like, like uh, blueberries and and uh, figs and muscadines that don't need sprays. Anyway, uh, in uh, February the third, Saturday, February the third, this could be a a uh, at Greenwood Cemetery downtown Jackson, just a block north of our state capital, is the Rose Work Day, hosted by the Mississippi Old Garden Rose Society. Starts at nine o'clock, and uh, you need to park on West Street and come in the the middle entrance instead of driving all the way through because we can't get the 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 truck through to get all the the cuttings, but. I'll talk about that a little bit later, but 9 o'clock, Saturday, February the 3rd, Greenwood Cemetery, a block north of the state capitol. Uh, not going to be a lot of stuff, but we could use some help. Bring some gloves, bring some pruners, pruners and uh, help spread a little mulch, a little bit of thinning, and we will show you how to root all you can take home. Um, anyway, it's, um, wow, it went quick. Yeah, but it's good to have you back in the studio, man. Thank you, sir. I'm I'm headed out. I'm giving a talk in Magnolia, Arkansas tomorrow. Oh wow! So you I gotta get in the truck. I get, yeah. No, I'm taking my truck. My my car truck only gets 16 miles <laughs> to the gallon. <laughs> 
But there's been a lot of stuff. My, my yard did better than I expected. I got a little cleaning up to do. My cabin's looking good. My potted plants and all. And I uh, got some wildflowers on my neighbor's. I don't have any grass, so I have to appreciate my neighbor's grass. Hen bits out there. It's pretty. Look at it up close. Really look at it up close and decide, do you really want to kill it? Do you really need to? If you don't need to, just leave it alone. It's fine. So anyway, horticulture's fellow rushing Java Chapman, folks are here at Mississippi Public Broadcasting. Uh, we're going to take off. Going to be back same time, same place next week. But we got programs Monday through Friday. Tune in and uh, let's have a good time. If you have questions about anything, I bet we got an expert to help you, a local expert. So if you get a chance, uh, this is a good time to replant some pansies, uh, maybe some kale. Uh, maybe start some tomato seeds. Visit a garden. Take a kid with you. Take a kid and get them a big old pot of potting soil and a couple of flowers and teach them how to do what we do best, folks, and that's get dirty. Java, hug your kids, man. They're growing up way too fast. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. 